I, um, I really enjoy talking in this congregation because as I look around, there's so many connections of people um, in the congregation seats. I've been doing quite a bit. I'm going to share a little bit more about what we're doing. So I'm doing quite a bit of talking in different groups. And when they're looking at you, as you all are looking at me now, um, and you don't know any of their faces, it's, it's quite, a, quite um, confronting. But when you're in amongst friends, it's, uh, it's a great place to be. And so uh, actually the reason why I've come down here is because I don't actually like preaching at you. I want to talk with you about what we're doing. Sort of a bit like Fano, you know. Um, our family, we get together from time to time. I've got four siblings, and it's quite a big family when we all get together. And sometimes we talk about what's going on in our lives together. And so I'd like to do that this morning. Um, and yes, there is a bit of a preaching part to it as well. I've asked Ben if he would open our service, uh, or our preaching part, sorry, in, uh, with a word of prayer. Thanks, Ben. Father, we just want to say how glad we are to be in your holy presence this morning. And we know that you are here with a burden to communicate your life into us and your vision for our community and our church. And we just say thank you. We believe you're here. We know you are passionate about pouring your life and faith and love into us and we just pray that you'll anoint Ron to bring that message of life to us this morning. Thank you so much. We bless you and praise your holy name in Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. Um, you know, I, I found it interesting uh, with Bruce's sermon last week. It was almost a perfect lead-in to uh, what I wanted to share about today and yet we hadn't collaborated, hadn't talked about it at all. And isn't it great when God does that? You sort of sense that you're on the right path. Because you remember he was talking about becoming warriors and that we had to prepare ourselves. And, you know, I want to talk about becoming warriors because, you know, in my own little way, I've become a warrior in a way that I never have before in my life. And so I want to talk about that. So for a bit of, I notice there is a few newer folk here who might not know what For a Better City is. We've been going for about two and a half years now. Um, it was a trust that I set up, and um, the purpose of that trust was to start to get into the community. I had retired a few years prior to that and wanted to give back. And so uh, I started looking around, what, Lord, could I do to give back to this community? And uh, he's led me into three different areas, or led us into three different areas. The first area is we were already... Uh, running a, a community dinner for people with mental health. So it was a mental health support dinner. Every fortnight, we've been going now for six years. And um, many people in our community here have contributed to uh, what we do there. And we meet together. We have a time of uh, sharing and encouragement and prayer for their needs. There's about, we, we, we range about 40 people uh, who come, but any one time, maybe about 30 people are there. So it's a great time together. Um, and uh, it's an opportunity for us to encourage and build them up and love them in a way that so many in so many places they're not being loved. Um, and this last year has been quite significant because there's been a couple of situations that have occurred amongst the community where we've really had to talk about it and get together and say, how are we going to deal with this? And I've been deeply, deeply encouraged 
by the responses that have come, uh, the commitment to community, the commitment to be together, the commitment to love, to forgive, all those good things has been really special. And uh, Di and Marty and Misty are very much part of that. They've been, they've been part of that group now for six years, and uh, it's just wonderful. One of the things that's happened is, you know, in the earlier days, we had more people contributing and helping. Now we have less people from this community. But what that's meant is actually a good thing because we've been able to encourage the folk within the community, within the, the mental health community, to step up and start to do more help. And that's been a really good thing. Sometimes you think, oh, we're, you know, presenting to them once again, but this is a way in which they can participate. So it's been really awesome. The second area is we work amongst vulnerable people within Upper Hutt. So we do, we've done quite a bit of work in Timberley. That's been a difficult year. We've really sensed some opposition, uh, I believe some spiritual opposition in the work that we've been doing up there. Uh, we've, been, uh, we've got an after-school care program uh, in Māori Bank School, which is the, uh, the school that gets fed from Timberley, uh, from Timberley children. Uh, we've got a Mums and Bubs, or we call it now Baby and Me program for young mums with their babies, and that comes out of uh, Rimataka Baptist Church. And then we're just in the process now of starting a food, healthy food project. Uh, we're working with Heratonga College. Um, they've got an awesome um, community garden, which they weren't able to operate themselves, so they've asked us to come. Kerry Oram's very much involved in that part. Um, and uh, we're going to be you know, growing vegetables, and then we're going to be helping them cook those vegetables and, then, uh, and, and other food, of course, our meat and so forth, and then make meals that they can get at a very... Uh, cost-effective price so that they can afford to eat really well because one of the challenges about people who are in the lower socioeconomic group is they often buy food that's not healthy because it's cheaper than food that's healthy. So we want to gather them healthy food, help them make it, help teach them how to make it, and then uh, provide them with the actual raw materials to do so. So it's a wonderful thing that Kerry is very much involved in. I'm principally involved in the family harm prevention area so it's amazing, you know, I would never have known that this was something that God was going to lead me into. But it's come very much from this verse that I want to read with you. Luke, if we could have that up there. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as sheer gift to me, a real surprise. God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. But God saw to it that I was equipped. But you can be sure that this had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along through followers like us, of Jesus, like yourselves, gathered in churches like Lane Park Christian Church. Through uh, followers, sorry, I'm going over there. <laughs> gathered in churches like us, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Now this verse has become really significant to me. In fact, I've paraphrased all these verses. I've paraphrased it so that you get a little bit more of what it means to me personally. It came to me as a sheer gift, a real surprise from God. He's been handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message of God's design for healthy family life to people who had no background in God's way, 
I was the least qualified of any of the many Christians available. But God is equipping me in ways that totally blow my mind. He's putting me in situations that I would never have dreamed possible. I've been talking to ministers of parliament, to mayors all around the country. I've been speaking to community leaders and I've spoken on four marae to young Māori men and Pākehā men who had no idea on how to raise kids, how to live in a good relationship. And yet I've been able to talk to them about some of the things that God has taught me over the 38 and a half years that Misty and I have been together and married. Talking about how God designed families to be. So friends, why has this been happening, do you think? Well, first of all, uh, Luke, if I could have that first one up. First of all, prayer has been such a significant issue. You remember a couple of years ago, Neville Bartley came and spoke to us. I went to see him after that service because he was talking about getting out into the community. You remember, and I was telling him about my journey, and he said to me, Ron, one of the things you need to do is you need to get prayer backing. Now, I went out and I, of that meeting and I said, Lord, I want to get prayer backing. What do I do? And this is miraculous for me, folks, is that within the week... Kath Wills connected with me. I haven't spoken with Kath for maybe four or five years, but she connected with me about a situation that she felt I could have some help in. And so while I was talking with her around that situation, I said, Kath, you know, I'm really looking for some people that will pray for me and what I'm doing in the community. Would you, be, would you do that? She said to me, Ron, this is no kidding. Ron, I have been asking God for something that I can really get my teeth in to pray about. That that period of time she'd been doing that. So David, her husband, and Kath pray for me every day. And Ben and Jenny, I asked if they would join them, also pray for the work that we're doing every day. And we meet together regularly and pray together. And I have seen so many miracles, so many situations occur, friends, that were completely out of my realm of being able to put together that God has done. People that I've spoken to and opportunities that have come that simply blow my mind. And it's, I'm absolutely confident it's because of those wonderful saints praying for me. So prayer has been a key thing. Cohesion between church and community is another really significant thing. You know, if I went out there and said, okay, I'm going to try and contribute to what youth work should look like, there would be a vast difference between me and what the world around. Or if I wanted to stop abortion, or if I wanted to you know, do some other stuff in the community, there would normally be a significant difference between how I as a Christian see it and how the, the world around us see it. But in family harm prevention, we use almost the same language. Last year I was asked to um, op- become the operations manager of a national organization uh, led by a guy called Vic Tumaty. Now, Vic Tumaty is somebody you would have seen on television. He's the big someone with long black hair that um, says it's not okay and they're not okay campaign adverts. So Vic runs an organization called Safe Man, Safe Family. And as part of that, I was asked to develop the infrastructure around his organization because he was a heart man and lacked the ability to put the infrastructure around it. So he wasn't able to get funding because no one would would actually give him the money because there wasn't an infrastructure around it. So I've been appointed by the It's Not Okay campaign to put that together. As part of that, we've been developing his program, the program that he runs in a, for a men's group uh, setting, in a men's group setting. Guess what he called it? Non-Christian man, guess what he called it? 
the redemption program. During our time that we've been de developing that program, I've been able to um, talk with them about things that Dave Riddell and the Living Wisdom material. We've been able to talk about love and acceptance and forgiveness. We've been able to talk about the five love language and we're building all of those things into the redemption program, even though it's a non-Christian program. And you see, this is what I'm finding time and time again, that the words used in family harm in the, in the, in the community sector and in the church just runs parallel. So I believe that's incredibly significant for the work that we're doing and the opportunities that we have as the church, as that verse talks about, as the church, to connect with people in our community about something that we all feel the same about and we even use the same language. Very significant. The third area is unity amongst God's people. So earlier this, uh, late last year, we started a faith-based project in Upper Hutt. Ten churches have joined that faith-based project from the Upper Hutt community. I've never been aware of that many churches, uh, well, such a percentage of churches in a community, get together over one subject. But we all feel the same about family harm, don't we? We recognize, well, we probably don't, and I'm going to share a little bit more about that later, but we recognize how devastating family harm is in our community. And so as churches, we're getting together and we're bit by bit rolling out a faith-based project that I'm going to talk to you about. The exciting thing for me about that, folks, is that in the Bible it says, Behold how pleasant and how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. We fit fully into that blessing when we join together as churches and commit together to make an impact in our community. And so I am believing for more miracles of life forevermore stories of people who change because of the churches getting together and saying we want to pray and we want to infiltrate our community and bring a better way of living together as families. Very exciting. And the, the, the greatest thing is that the Bible has the answer, doesn't it? Let's look at Ephesians 5, shall we? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and wives must respect their husbands. Now, I know this can be a little controversial in this day and age with all this PC stuff, but friends, when men step up, and love their wives and their women and their partners the way that Christ loved the church, they're not lording it over them. They're not causing them to be subjugated uh, women. They're not trying to reduce who they are. But like Jesus did for the church, they're trying to make them bigger. They're trying to make them better. They're trying to support them in all that they want them to do. So they're not trying to push them down. And folks, when I have seen marriages where men do that, I have seldom heard the woman say, I have a problem with submitting or respecting a man who does that. So when, when we as the church start to live truly like that, in relationships where men are loving their wives as Christ loved the church and women are respecting their husbands, we have no family harm. You know, it's interesting. In America, they did a survey amongst... Uh, um, a whole bunch of people that came to a marriage, uh, week, uh, marriage course. And they said to the women, women, if you were given the choice 
to be loved by your husband or respected for what you do, which would you choose? Might I ask this congregation of people? Women, if you are asked to be uh, given the opportunity to be respected or loved, which would you choose? Courtney said loved. Are any other women in for that? Yeah. That, that's pretty much standard everywhere you ask that question. Women would far prefer to be loved. If I ask men, would you prefer to be loved or would you prefer to be respected, what would you prefer? Loved? Well, I tell you what, most uh, communities in America at least would say respected because it's in being respected they feel loved. Men feel loved when a woman will say, hey, I'm really proud what, of who you are and what you did today. Men feel loved like that. So this respect and love is incredibly important. When we live like that, we don't have family harm. So it's significant that that is part of what is happening um, amongst uh, what we're doing in the, uh, in the space. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about... Uh, family harm, because one of the things we need to do is understand what family harm is. Um, people basically think family harm is about a man hitting a woman, and it's much, much more than that. And the reason why that's significant is because so often something that's much less escalates and escalates until eventually it does become physical. So there's lots of stories around where people uh, in relationships uh, were living apparently okay together and then suddenly there is a, a, a homicide or a severe um, uh, outwork of, um, of family violence and the reason for that is because they started in a lower level of family uh, violence and worked their way up until finally normally when separation takes place violence occurs at that point. So let's look a little bit more about what family violence is. First of all it's about partner abuse so obvious, that's obvious, we're aware of that. Child abuse and neglect, it's about elder abuse. So lots of, lots of elder abuse in our communities today, which is terribly sad because they lack the ability to be able to defend themselves, you know, even verbally defend themselves, and lots of people are being abused in our community. Dating violence is becoming increasingly a big problem. You know, I've, I, I'll talk a little bit about our, our youth program that we're getting involved in. It's amazing how much dating violence is occurring in our schools at the moment. And violence is far more than just physical. And then violence in the wider whānau or family. I'm just going to run through a bunch of statistics. I don't expect you to remember them all. That's not the point. But just so you get how big this problem is in our community. So in 2016, the police recorded 119,000 uh, family violence incidents. They were called out to 119,000. Last year it was 121. They reckon only three quarters of the, uh, sorry, only a quarter of the incidences that occur actually get um, recorded because the others are done in, uh, in silence and no one knows about them. 23 adults and nine children are killed every year from family violence incidents. 23 adults and nine children. It's tragic. Intimate partner violence death are uh, perpetrated in large part by men, but there is a, a, a percentage that are perpetrated by women. Often that is in their mind to protect their children from the, from the perpetrator. Half of the intimate partner violence, uh, half of intimate partner violence death occur at the time of actual or 
actual separation from the, uh, from the partner. That's what I was saying before. So they put up with it for so long. Finally, they said enough is enough. They step out of the relationship and in some way or other, they are, uh, the, partner, the perpetrator comes back and causes family uh, violence then. Half of all homicides are, are family-related homicides in our country. One in three women experience physical or sexual abuse from a partner in their lifetime. One in seven young people report being harmed on purpose by an adult at their home. So what are the kinds of abuse? First of all, physical it's what we all know. It's the punching, it's the hitting, the kicking, strangling, those kinds of things. Emotional and psychological. Do you know, folks, that they're saying that emotional and psychological abuse can sometimes cause more damage than physical abuse to the, to the victim because it's lasting. It, it takes away who they are as people. Sexual abuse. Financial abuse is one that a lot of people don't realize. You know, guys take, uh, or people take money out of the, uh, the joint account without telling their partner. Or they stop... People spend, you know, a partner will stop the other partner from spending money. There's a really um, well-known incident up in Hamilton where a farmer who was a multimillionaire gave his wife a uh, FBOS card that had $100 a week, and that was all she was allowed to spend. Finally, after a significant, I won't go into the whole story, finally after a significant period of time, her friends and family finally convinced her to leave him. He called her back to the farm to say, hey, you've left something back here at the farm Uh, some of your goods, and as she walked down the driveway, he shot her. So there'd been no physical abuse at all. It had just been the psychological and emotional and financial abuse going on for years in her life. Finally, when she separated, she was killed. And the family, you know, I've spoken a number of times to the family, they had no idea that it was that bad because it's hidden. It's something that's not talked about. Spiritual abuse. This is one that a lot of people don't realize. We're uh, a cultures or a, a, a religion's belief allow men particularly to, re, to relate to their women in an inappropriate way. It's a big one in some of the eastern countries, but it's also a big one here, folks, because you know, if you read the Bible out of context, you could easily justify living an abusive relationship with your wife. If you read the Bible the wrong way and you don't read it in context. So we need to be careful about that as well. I've seen Christian guys think that they're the boss of the home. We, what we talk about in Safe Man, Same Family, are you the boss or are you the head? You're not the boss, folks. That's not what the Bible tells you. You're the head of the home. That's responsibility. It's not power. Jesus showed that. He didn't, he didn't come to bring power. He came to bring love and humility. And so he, he gave us that example. Neglect is a big one where they don't buy enough clothes for them. This woman that I was talking about before, she was only allowed to wear a certain amount of clothes, a certain type of clothes. He didn't want her to be too flashy, even though they had lots of money. Another way, uh, neglecting uh, the food that children might eat. And finally, cultural beliefs. uh, Cultural beliefs ahead of family safety. Key features of family violence, people of any ethnicity, age, gender, sexuality or socioeconomic group are, are, can be affected. And I think that's a significant one, folks, because time and time again when I talk to people in our socioeconomic group think that it's not happening amongst us. I guarantee you that it's happening in this congregation. I say that only because, not that I know you all, but I know that the statistics are so clear that one in three families are experiencing some kind Now, we might be slightly better. That's an average. We might be slightly better in the church, but different kinds of family abuse is definitely happening here. There's no doubt about that. Women and children are more often harmed 
fearful and controlled, but men can be victims too. So the, the definition of family harm is not couple conflict. We talk about this in a minute, but it's not couple conflict. Lots of couples have conflict, but when control and fear is introduced into that couple conflict, it becomes family harm. So if the, if the perpetrator is trying to control the victim and the victim is feeling fearful of the perpetrator, that's the definition of family harm. Most violence is hidden. It's either non-physical or due to shame. People cover it up. Family violence is usually about someone controlling and dominating their partner or family members. One of the real challenging things around family harm too is that it doesn't happen on a continuum. It happens in a cycle. So you end up with an explosion where maybe there's a big argument, maybe there's hitting, maybe there's not. Maybe there's, there's uh, overpowered a psychological abuse going on in a setting like that. Then the next day, there's this sense of remorse, the sense of, oh, I'm so sorry, darling, I didn't mean that, I, I drank too much, or I had a bad day at the office, or something like that happened, and I'm really sorry about this, I won't do this again, I'm going to get help. So then the victim allows it to carry on. But it starts to build, and it starts to build, and then suddenly it happens all over again. That's what, so people looking at family violence might see this remorseful period and think, oh, there's nothing happening there, but it's only a matter of time before there's another explosion. And we don't know how bad that explosion will be. Why do victims put up with it? The seven Fs. Fear. Scared that violence will get worse. That's a big one. Women so often won't leave a relationship because they've been threatened that if they do, the partner, the perpetrator, will, will inflict more violence upon them or upon their children, which is sometimes worse for them. Finances. Often it's going to disrupt the financial um, side of the family and so they don't want to disrupt that. They don't feel they can afford to, so they stick with the abuse. Family. You know, there's, in this day and age where there's so little family support around us, you know, not like the old days where we lived in villages, but so many of us are separated from our whanau and so um, uh, we don't have the support to be able to do that. The father thinks, uh, sorry, father. So the, 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 uh, the, the wife thinks the kids need a father. You know, my middle daughter is, has separated from her husband. And this was a very big one for her. She really struggled separating from her husband because he was abusive without a doubt. But she said, my kids need a father. And he was still reasonably good to the kids. It's a big one to, to, to break through. Faith. And, you know, they made a promise before God. We can't break that promise, so we're going to stick with it. Fantasy, that they believe the promises during that remorseful period. Oh, he'll get better. Things will be okay. And then failure, the sense of hopelessness. I've mucked up. I made the wrong choice. Family violence harms children. Folks, if there's children in a household where family harm is occurring, they will be affected by it. I went to a really significant and fantastic lecture from a woman called Catherine Burkett, who's a neurosurgeon, a neuroscientist. And they've been tracking uh, brain waves and what happens in the brain. And they've been doing some great work in that space. And, um, and it's so significant what happens with the stress that occurs in family harm families uh, to a young child's brain and how that affects them for the rest of their lives. Really important um, side of uh, the, 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 the damage being done uh, through family harm. Stress, fear and anxiety harms kids, even in their, if they're not directly victims. Violence affects the brain development, as I said. Self-esteem, schooling, and friendships are affected. Do you know, I was called into a task force of principals from Upper Hutt Primary Schools um, uh, about two weeks ago 
three of the principals have been tasked with the job of looking at ways in which they, uh, the schools, the primary schools, can work more in this space with their communities of, of parents and children. Why? Because they are experiencing such enormous amounts of violence in the school, in the playgrounds, in the classrooms. Misty's been a teacher for 15, 16 years. This year was the first year that she was hit hard in the chest by a five-year-old kid. Five-year-old kid. Now, you can rest assured, if a five-year-old kid is inflicting violence on an adult teacher, they've got violence going on at home because they recognize that's the way you get things done because they're seeing it at home. And so teachers are really concerned about what's happening in their schools because they know what, what, what therefore is happening in, uh, in the families. And so we're, we've committed to continue that conversation and to see if there's ways in which we can, uh, for a better city, can support what they're wanting to do in the schools uh, in the days that lie ahead. Power and control. So family and domestic violence is different from couple conflict, as I said before. It's about power of the perpetrator and, uh, and control, and then it's about fear for the, for the victim. It's driven by that desire to, con- uh, to control and to dominate. It takes many forms, as we've said, and can be subtle and hard to detect. And what we say in this space, folks, if you think something's going on, you're probably right. And so we encourage you to start to see if there's some way in which you can support that relationship. Trust your instinct. What can we do? Uh, we can all do something about stopping family harm, and we all must. What are you doing? So what are we doing as For a Better City? We've set up an upper hut family harm prevention working group. It's made up of the council, uh, Mai Marae, um, a few other people. Uh, we're, and we're building that group. The, 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 uh, the, the work that that group will do is we put on the White Ribbon Week. So November, 29, uh, sorry, November 19 to 25 is White Ribbon Week each year. I'm a White Ribbon Ambassador, so is Wayne Guppy, and we are working really hard at trying to create a big splash on White Ribbon Week this year. So we've got uh, a whole bunch of things. One of the things that we're doing is we're having a march, folks, and I am so hopeful that the churches will, will get behind this march, not for, so that I can say we had a whole bunch of people there, but so that we make a statement in this city we're going, to, we're going to walk down Queen Street, down King Street, down Main Street, and then have a, a, a gathering at the, uh, in the green space in front of um, the, uh, the council buildings. And there we'll talk a bit more about family harm and talk about ways in which people can help that. That's happening in no- November the 24th, I think, isn't it, Mark? Something like that. So um, actually, if you're doing the fun run, that will give you a bit of exercise so you can do the march. Is that fair? Cool. Um, so, and there's a number of other things we've got uh, planned for that week. All about raising awareness, starting the conversation, getting people talking about family harm in our community. Because when you talk about it, then it becomes less acceptable. When it's hidden, people don't talk about it. When we talk about it, it becomes more uh, uh, prominent in our communities. So, and we're working through a whole bunch of different groups in the community. The first was the faith-based one that started last November. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, And on the 3rd of of August, we start our Youth Ambassador Program in the colleges. We're we're working with 20 young leaders from year 12 and year 13, from Hiratonga College and from Upper Hutt College. And they're going to be coming for a day of inspiration, education, and uh, and, um, 
you know, information so that they can go back into their colleges and do two things. First of all, they can be champions of change so that young people who are going through family harm situations at home can talk to these young people rather than talking to the teacher or their counsellor because that's too big a step for them. They can talk with their peers and say, hey, I need some help. And these people, these young ambassadors will be able to go and support them to, to get the help that they need. And secondly, they'll be putting on some big program in their schools. It might be a, a song competition or a poetry competition or it might be a fundraiser or something like that, that they'll go, it'll be their choice and they'll do that in their schools over the next uh, three months. Really looking forward to that. Um, more community champion programs. We're starting a business community champion program where we'll put business uh, champions of change within businesses and also help those businesses um, change their policies and procedures to become more uh, supportive uh, of family harm in their, in their uh, business uh, amongst their staff. Because this is a big issue amongst staff. You know, there's, there's a number of ways in which family harm affects staff. And normally they don't know it, you know. So a boss might get a call, I'm sorry, I'm not coming into work today, I'm not feeling well. What they didn't know is that they've got a big bruise somewhere and they have to nurse that. Or, you know, and it, uh, there's a lot of time involved. Um, you know, if you're stalking, for example, is another thing that often happens. When, uh, when guys are stalking their partners, they're wasting time at work. Lots of different ways in which uh, it affects businesses. So we're working with businesses. Uh, primary schools, as I said, next year we're working with the Multicultural Council, uh, which is uh, with the president of the Multicultural Council is also a White Ribbon Ambassador in Upper Hutt, and so we're working in that group. The faith-based um, project looks a bit like this. We had a training day early this year uh, where we got the pastors together and we taught them a lot more about family harm and what that looks like. Uh, we're now meeting on a quarterly basis and praying into the space and also talking about ways in which they can infiltrate the subject into their congregations. Part of what I'm doing now is the sermons around uh, introducing family harm into churches. I'm going to be speaking in three different churches so far around Upper Hutt in the next two or three months, bringing this subject to those churches because it's very clear when you start talking about a subject in a church, people start saying, actually, that's me, I need some help. Uh, combined church dinners for men and women, that will happen later this year. We're going to get all of the women together and talk about um, you know, uh, what it's like to be a, a victim and to talk more about that space and then get the men together and talk a bit about champions and how they can become champions of change. And then later in the year we want to start uh, citywide prayer nights um, uh, in that space. What can you do? Prayers. We're calling you to pray. This is such a significant area that we can have infu- inf- inf- that we can infiltrate our community, that we can have influence in our community. Would you pray? Would you pray that God releases the floodgates of, of God's people to get into the space and start to, to uh, really do some good there? Get help for your relationships. Folks, you remember that when um, Bruce was talking last, last week, he was saying one of the things that you need to do to qualify for being a, a warrior, you need to make sure your own life is good. There's so much help around us. There's good people in this congregation who can help you get a better relationship together. And one of the things that saddened Misty and I over the years is we've had the privilege but sadness to work with a number of couples who have got broken relationships who are in crisis is that they wait too long to get help. And by then, it's really, really hard 
to be able to do some stuff. There might be another person in the relationship now. There might be such hurt, such pain that there's lack of forgiveness. It's so much harder. You know, one of the things that I'm so blessed about with my wife is she has always been willing to get help when we're in in, uh, difficulty. When there's stuff going on in our relationship that we cannot work out, we get help. We've, We've been to Grant on two or three occasions while we've been in this church. It's happening less, fortunately, now. But in the old days, we'd go for counseling. We'd, we went to, I don't know how many uh, marriage courses, not, be, not because we were in crisis, but because we wanted to do it really well. And I'm so grateful for that now. We live such a wonderful relationship. I love her so much. And that's available for all of us when we learn to live as Christ wants us to live as couples. Yeah? So get help, folks. There's so many people that can help you in our congregation around. Get more education. When we ask for champions of change, please step up. You know, there's, you, you've got relationships in all the different settings that you're in, in sports clubs, at work, wherever it might be, and you can be a champion of change in that setting. Learn a bit more about this stuff so that you can help your peers, your friends in this space. And finally, connect with people. You know, if we don't have relationships outside of this place, we simply can't influence the world around us. Get connected. You know, at work, as I said, at sports clubs, at community groups, get connected with people so that you can influence them. Well, that's me done. Can you just close your eyes and bow your head for a minute? I just want to ask you to think about some stuff as you concentrate on that. You know, uh, when Neville Bartley came a couple of years ago, you might remember those of us who were here, that instead of coming forward for an altar call, he got us all to go to the doors and stand looking out. Boy, I felt powerful that day. You know, part of a community of people that really wanted to look out instead of just be thinking about how we are doing in church, about our lives and the struggles that we might be having, the challenges we might be facing. We wanted to look out. We wanted to influence our community of Upper Hutt. Friends, I've talked to you about three ways in which you can, uh, three areas in which you can have influence in this community. Bruce talked about being warriors last week. Could we be warriors in mental health? You know, such a big issue these days. So much mental health in our community. Mental illness, sorry, in our community. Would you like to support, be part of that? The poor, the less fortunate in our community, would you like to help in that space? There's lots of different ways in which you could help. And finally, would you like to become a champion of change and help marriages and families deal with some of this terrible stuff that's going on? Lord Jesus, I pray for each person here today. Lord, there's been a lot of information imparted, probably too much. But your Holy Spirit, I pray, would decipher that which you want to put in our hearts and leave there as a residue, as a seed that can grow. Lord, we we want our hearts to be soft so that seed can, can grow. Lord, we want to be obedient to your call on our lives. 
Lord, we recognize you're a God that wants this for us because of the joy and the fulfillment that brings to our lives. Not because you want us to be busy or because you just want us to do stuff, Lord, but it brings such joy, such fulfillment when we connect with people and see change for good. Lord, I pray for these dear friends of mine that you will touch and lead them, guide them in this space, Lord. I know there's fear, fear. I, I sense, you know, I was talking to Nerily about that. She said, you know, so often we don't say yes because we're fearful. I come against fear in the name of Jesus because fear is from the devil. Perfect love casts out fear. You know, fear of getting too busy or fear of not knowing what to do in situations. I come against that in the name of Jesus because His Holy Spirit has promised that He's going to give you the words to say in those situations. And friends, I can confess to that. There have been many situations that I didn't know what to say beforehand, but I have sensed God's Spirit working over me and giving me words to say in situations. Lord, I release that over these dear people in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you, dear friends. Really uh, appreciate the opportunity for you listening to me. And uh, if you want to, if you want to talk any further about uh, any of the projects that we're involved with, some of you got these. Some of these didn't go out, but there's more of them just at a box at the back of the uh, auditorium there. Just fill it in, and uh, I'll get in touch with you, and we can talk a bit more about how you might progress into being part of what we're doing. Thanks very much.